Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand. Walking in the early dawn to climb up in my stand. Hunting off the farm, wishing on some American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and friends, and this week it's just friends. Hi, everybody. I'm the Red Bull Mike Crace. I'll be here along with uh, Wayne Locke from Team Missouri, and we've got uh, team member Thomas Moore from Team Kentucky uh, joining us on the phone, and we are going to talk a little bit of waterfowl hunting today and late-season deer hunting with Wayne and John Manning will be joining us a little bit later on in the show. So let's start out with the waterfowl hunting. We would welcome Thomas Moore uh, in here on the program. Thomas, what have you been up to today? Well, we've duck hunted all day long. Got our hind ends handed to us for the most part. It was so darn foggy you couldn't do much with them. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, uh, and, and here in southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, it was extremely foggy all day today, too. And I can imagine, and I'm not a duck hunter, but I can imagine uh, just not much luck when there's fog and you can't see the ducks in the sky. They're hard to hit that way. Well, it ain't that they're it's much hard to hit. It's the fact that they're on you before you realize it, and they're in and out if you're not ready. Oh, really? You've got to be on your A game. Okay. So they are going to come into within range of where you can see them. Well, they will if you're kind of in the sweet spot. That's what we had to move a couple times today. We weren't on the X, and so we couldn't even see the traffic because it was so darn foggy, so we had to keep puttering around in the boat in the backwater and listening, and that's how we found them was by listening and got where we needed to be, and finally we ended up scratching out a few. Well, that actually has to be kind of cool in a way, just to sit there and not be able to see them, and all of a sudden, bam, there they appear, and test your shooting skills. I had the boys with me. I let a couple of the boys skip school today and go with me, and I told them, I said, boys, today there ain't going to be all the chitty-chatter going on in here. Y'all guys are going to have to be listening and watching out both ends of the boat because it was calm as it could be, so the wind wasn't a factor as far as what directions they were coming in and out from. They were coming with what what, a weatherman called for a one-mile-per-hour wind, and they, they were coming from every direction when they did come. So mm. you had to be watching and paying attention because they were in and out on you in just a matter of seconds. Yeah, so you really had to be listening close to find out which way they were coming from. Right. Wow. Exactly. And, 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 and then later on and, in the season like this, of course, these birds that we've been hunting, when it's not foggy, are decoy shy. So it kind of helped in a way, but yet it hurt at the same time. They were in and on you and then out again because they never would completely finish because of the being decoy shy. Now you're hunting this. in there and everything was dead calm and... Of course, we didn't fool with any motion decoys this morning because where the jack of water we were hunting was so deep, we didn't have any line long enough for them. And... <laughs> so you're hunting the Mississippi Delta area, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, so how has duck season been? And, and I think it's about to come to a close here in the next few days. Ours goes out on the 31st of January this year. Okay. They've okay. bumped it back to the last day of January. It used to go out the last uh, Sunday of January, but now they've bumped it to the very last day. So how's the season been? It's been rough around here. It's been warm. There's no food down the whole flyaway. All the backwater out till the end of July, pretty much done away with all the food sources up and down the Mississippi flyaway. So that's been, everybody I've talked to has had a pretty rough season this year. Okay. The guys in Arkansas have done pretty well, but you get over into Missouri and Arkansas, away from the river a little bit, it's a little bit different story. They got those rice fields and stuff like that that we don't have over here. Yeah, that's kind of what uh, what I heard. The, the people that I know uh, in, in Missouri and Arkansas, the duck hunt, they, they've actually had, uh, even though it's been a little bit warm, uh, just like it has been there in Kentucky, it's been it's been relatively good as far as the uh, duck hunting itself goes. They've been killing a lot of ducks. Yeah. Uh, I got a buddy who's got a spot right outside of Stuttgart, and he's been killing them all season long. And I told him that's because we didn't have any groceries to hold any up here, so they all went down there to hang out with you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, well, it's also the duck capital of the world, Stuttgart, Arkansas. Yeah, it is. Yeah, have you ever hunted that Stuttgart area? I've hunted it a few times. It's a good time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know they have the World Duck Calling Championships down there every year, and that's why it is deemed the, the duck hunting capital of the world, because that's where they hold the World Duck Calling Championships. But, uh I guess if someone was going to start duck hunting, that'd be a good place to start, huh? And they got a lot of public land down there. In fact, I think they've changed some laws this year on out-of-state guys going down there to hunt their public land. But uh, some of that flooded timber they got down there, if you've never killed ducks in the timber, 
you need to do that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's actually the only uh, when I hunted in a uh, duck hunted in Ohio that we did a lot of timber hunting uh, for wood ducks and stuff like that for along the creeks that ran through the woods. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, you just kind of sneak up, you look around, you know, binoculars was a big plus. <laughs> you use your binoculars, you look down the creek, you look for those bends and then try and sneak in there and, and catch them as they're flying through uh, because they low and fast coming through there. If you've never killed greenheads in the timber, you ain't never duck hunting. That's fun. <laughs> ain't nothing like a wad of 15 or 20 just trickling through the trees. And once you let them break the plane of them trees and somebody hollers kill them, just take your time and put it on that little yellow beak and let him have it because he can't get out of there before you can kill him, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, now you had uh, talked about that, you know, you're hunting the, the Mississippi uh, uh, Delta Flyway and that there. Is that where you grew up hunting? Yeah. You know, learning to hunt I've been there? Hunting, uh, I live in western Kentucky around the Paducah area, and I live, you know, 15 minutes from the Mississippi River here in Carlisle County. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I killed my first duck in the river bottoms when I was eight years old, and that's been an addiction ever since who got you so you got into hunting with uh who your 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 father your grandfather your grandparents my grandfather okay told me war stories about the 50s and the 60s and the 70s waterfowl hunting was always his thing by the time i got old enough to waterfowl hunt he got too old and just didn't care a lot of the land see back years ago backwater got out it was free range you could go anywhere that the water touched you'd never make anybody mad or upset and that's how he hunted so when uh, the state started buying up ground and, you know, posting it and restricting it where you could go, this, that, and what have you, he just he threw his hands up said, to heck with it, you guys can have it, and he pretty quit. Hmm. And so I never could get him to take me, but I could hear all these stories about how many ducks they killed through the years and where to go when the river was at what stage and this and that, and I took what he told me and I taught myself. Wow, okay. Really? Yeah, that's a pretty good mentor, though. I mean, and, and I mean, it's 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 not good that he wouldn't go back and actually, you know, hands on show you. But the fact that he did tell you stories and and inspired you to to want to learn it. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, <laughs> I got him to go a few trips with me there when I was probably a teenager. He went a few trips with me, but he just, I guess, he'd killed enough in his lifetime that he'd. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's gonna let me work on him after that. <laughs> well, he probably just enjoyed the company of being out with his grandson too. So that's all it was. He was yeah. just hanging out with me. Right, right. Hey, that's how memories are made. That's exactly right. That's and, right. You know, and and you know, Wayne, I think you'll agree with that. That's one of the problems that we have in the outdoor industry. Is exactly what Thomas is talking about. Is a lot of the older hunters, they're still physically able. They they just don't care anymore. Right. And they that's, they just give it right. up. And sometimes they don't then go ahead and mentor others to take their place. And, and that's one of the issues that we have in the outdoors. Yeah, and you'll you, and you can you'll talk to people and they'll, they'll be like, "Well, I I I hunt. I I enjoy deer hunting and that, but I enjoy it more when I'm with my son or my grandson and I get to see them out there doing what I enjoyed when I was young. And it's it's uh, you get more pleasure out of watching your son harvest that deer or taking that duck than you do yourself shooting it." Yeah, when I got the boys with me, which anymore, anytime I go, I pretty well got some, some of my kids with me. I got a whole truckload of them. <laughs> but I, I would just as soon let them shoot. A lot of times that's what I'll do. I'll call and call the shots and, and throw the blind open where they can get out to shoot. And I might shoot one if they've left me a few. I might shoot one or two here and there. But for the most part, I take them, just let them shoot. I know, Thomas, I know I've that- killed my fair share of them. It's their turn. I'm just hanging out with them, making memories. Yeah, I know you said at the beginning that uh, a couple of the kids uh, you got you let them play hooky from school today to go, and and I did see yeah. on Facebook that y'all did kill a few ducks today. Yeah, the, well, uh, the ones that I posted on there this morning was two of my boys that I let play hooky yesterday, oh, okay. and I let the other two that are big enough to hunt play hooky today. Okay. So. Yeah, and how many do you <laughs> I have? I think we killed. Uh, I think we killed sixteen yesterday, and fifteen or sixteen. I think is what we ended up with today. We didn't have a limit, so. Nice. Yeah, so would you consider that a good day, 15 ducks? Well, that's a good day considering the, the year that we've had. And uh, a buddy of mine that used to hunt with me all the time was we had about a 10-year streak where we didn't leave the house that we didn't kill a limit. And I guess we got so spoiled with that, he quit duck hunting on me. He goes to Canada with me every year, but he's quit duck hunting around here for about the last five years, and he started back this year. And he said, here's your slice of humble pie. He said, I picked a fine time 
to start duck hunting again, and it's been as rough as it's been all season. He said, I guess we just got spoiled to all those limits that we used to kill. I said, yeah, it ain't like that no more, man. <laughs> it's been rough the last couple of years. Right, right. Hey, listen, uh, Thomas, we got to get uh, into a break here, but when we come back, I want to continue talking about how you're passing your uh, knowledge on to your kids like you learned from your uh, grandfather. So uh, okay. we'll be back in uh, just a few moments. Thank you. All righty. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends, and it's just friends today here on the uh, on the uh, American Roots Outdoors Radio Show. Alex uh, not available for uh, uh, the program today, and he'll be back with us again next week. Uh, we've got Thomas Moore from Kentucky and Wayne Locke from here in Southern Missouri. I'm the Red Bull Mike Crace, and we've been talking duck hunting. Uh, Thomas Moore been hunting with his kids the last couple of days, and, and we've been talking about you know getting started and, and hearing the stories from your grandpa and, and things like that, Thomas. Um, my big question is, uh, duck hunting is maybe the one sport in the outdoors that seems to be gaining more popularity, especially here in the last three or four years. What do you, and I mean, do, is that the trend that you see as a longtime duck hunter, and what do you attribute that to? Local folks around here say it was all because of Duck Dynasty. That bloated all out of proportion. And I don't know that that had anything to do with it or not, but that did seem to be about the time frame that people started picking it up. That would be a very viable I, answer. That's that's all we can think of around these parts. But, uh, yeah, we used to could go, and I hunt a lot of public land, a lot of public land, and we mm-hmm. would hunt all season long, run into a couple people, and there was never a real big deal. And back in about 2009 or 10, I don't know what in the world went down, but... Somebody told somebody how fun it was, I guess, and they all bought boats and decoys because <laughs> there's uh, plenty of competition these days for sure. I know that's an uh, issue in Arkansas, too, is that the hunting has gotten so popular on the public lands and uh, that they've had to, I mean, they've really cracked down uh, on some of the public lands and, and they've taken away some of the permanent, uh, uh, what do you call them, the permanent blinds. There are a lot of places on public land where people have built permanent blinds. And uh, Arkansas Game of Fish came in and said, you know what? We can't have that anymore because this land is public for everybody. Because there were people that were, that were actually uh, laying, laying claim to parcels of public land. And this is our spot to duck hunt. Nobody else can duck hunt. Right. And AG, yeah. Arkansas Game and Fish, and you may know about that, Thomas. They said, no, we can't have that. And they went in and actually destroyed some of those permanent blinds. I had heard that that uh, had went down down around Stuttgart and the Bio Meadow and some of those big public timber areas down there that mm-hmm. you know a lot of your older guys that had been hunting it for forty plus years had laid claims to a certain spot and back years ago out of respect for the other hunter nobody ever messed with them they just let them have their hole and that's how they hunted it right and then so they laid claim to it as it was their own which I'm guilty of the same thing I've got holes that I hunt all the time and have hunted for years I call it my hole that's where I go. And uh, and then you got the younger generation coming in, and they'll sit and they'll watch you shoot ducks out of it at 150, 200 yards away today, and then tomorrow morning they get there at one o'clock in the morning and beat you to <laughs> your hole. <laughs> right. Well, and then ten years from now, you're gonna your son's gonna show up there and be like, "No, this is my dad's hole." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even if dad's not with them, it's my dad's hole. You know. That's right. And that's one good thing about, or one thing for sure about those holes. The good Lord only made so many of them, and once the world knows about them, they ain't no secret no more, yeah, you know. That is so true. Yeah, do they get overhunted? I mean, is, is that an issue? Can those holes be overhunted? Oh, absolutely. Over-hunted? The yeah. holes that we used to hunt, we'd hunt them three days a week, and they were on public land, but nobody, you know, really knew about them, so nobody was ever in them. So the rest of the week, it got to rest. So the days that we did show up, we'd kill a limit out of them. Are and you? so now they never set. You know, if I'm not there, somebody else is going to be in it. And that just it does it wears it wears them out. It overhunts them. Right. Are you finding you're going to have? Elsewhere. Are you finding you have to go further in to get to a good spot now, as opposed to you know before we you park your truck, walk to a, you know a spot that's closer? I mean, do you hunt mainly out of boats? What what type of hunting do you do? Because in Ohio, we did mainly you know just waders and and we hiked in through a lot of woods and. 
and uh, in to get to some of these marsh areas and that. So we didn't really use any boats, but I'm just wondering with we all the pressure you're doing now. I get, of course, the more I like to try to get in the boat if I can. We'll still wade and walk and do whatever. <clears throat> but if you're, excuse me, if you're not willing to go further than the average Joe, you're you're pretty much without anymore because there's plenty of competition that's going to go to the easy stuff. You're going to have to push a little harder and go a little further. Like uh, I hunt some public land around my house here, and I take I've got a little uh, case tractor, little 45 case track, 45 horse case tractor, and I pull my boat, launch my boat down the creek bank with this tractor. It's straight up and down. I got a mud boat, and we can run in and out. But unless somebody else is willing to put forth that effort, they're not going where I'm going. Well, that sounds just you know? like uh, deer hunting on public land. You get your average well, Joe only wants to go above that. above and beyond what your average Joe will because I yeah. enjoy killing them that much. Right. <laughs> yes, and it does. I was going to make that comment. That's like you know, uh, deer hunting or turkey hunting on public land. If you're not willing to take that two- or three-mile hike, uh, you're going to be hunting with everybody else. Right. Yeah. yeah. If I'm turkey hunting on public land, I don't even stop walking until I'm at least a mile in. I don't even slow down. Any bird that gobbles toward the front, I'm letting him go. I just keep on going because, you know, every guy parked in the parking lot is headed to that yeah. quickest and the easiest bird. Right. Now, when you uh, now with your kids, are you finding it that they're starting to pick up, you know, going back to how you're passing knowledge along? Are they picking up the things that you're teaching them? Like, hey, you know, this is the this is this is what makes a good water hole. This is what makes the perfect wind direction for facing the decoys this way. Are they are they picking that up pretty quick already? Or oh yeah, okay. yeah. I, I'll I'll kind of quiz them on it as we're doing things. When we're setting up, or if we need to move, or whatever the scenario may be, I'll ask them. I already know the answer, but I'm asking them, and then they'll they're, they're picking up on it. They'll pretty much pretty much tell me what I'm wanting to hear. How old were they when when you started taking them out? Oh, man, Avin is my oldest one. He's 12 now, and I had him in a duck blind when he was 18 months old. Ah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, my, They've what been was, killing what ducks with me. Of course, I start them shooting shotguns and stuff when they're about five. I've got a little 410. It's a snake charmer, mm-hmm. and I'll start them out with that little 410 snake charmer and get them where they can shoot stuff sitting still with it. And then, then we'll work on moving targets. We'll start with the skeet thrower going straight away, and then we'll start working on quartering shots, and then we'll go to straight passing shots. Most of all my boys, by the time by the time they're, I'd say, eight years old, they can pretty well shoot with most of the guys that I hunt with. Nice. That is nice. That's, 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 that's excellent. And, of course, I mean, you know, when you're duck hunting, you're shooting at moving targets. So that's really saying something. That's right. They can pretty well hold their own. <laughs> now, we're to get them uh, used to shooting moving targets, do you guys belong to a trap club or skeet club or anything that you practice? Or Actually, you... We, we're not. The boys shoot 4-H, uh, my two oldest boys. Mm-hmm. They do shoot a little bit of 4-H trap. and uh, But that's something that I really wish they'd get more into, but they love baseball too, so it kind of gets into their trap shooting in the summertime. Right. Right, so, uh, Thomas, uh, not to switch gears completely here, but we've got about two minutes left. Uh, what are the prospects? Because, I mean, we're starting to talk turkey hunting now. It's going to be here before we know it. So what are the prospects that you're hearing for turkey hunting in Kentucky? i be honest with you. As far as, like, uh, our bird counts and stuff like that, I think the past two years our bird counts have been down, and I haven't seen a whole lot of poults this winter. Normally you'll see... You know, in the fall and the winter, you'll see a bunch of poults running around, and I haven't seen a whole lot. I'm hoping that I'm just missing them, overlooking them, been too busy working or something. But, uh, yeah, now that you say that, well, I'll take that back. I did see some in some trees today hanging out in the backwater, about six longbeards hanging out together on a cottonwood tree. Oh, wow. They'd run out of land, rode it as long as they could, and was hanging out there. <laughs> but other than that, this is about the only turkeys I've seen all winter long. Yeah. Wayne, you know, as we talk to different people around the country, that seems to be the common theme. We're just not seeing many poles this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've talked to people in Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, uh, who, uh, yeah, Arkansas, Missouri, Arkansas, Missouri and, all, yeah. and all around. And, and that, that seems to be same a common concern, yep, you same know, a, a major concern with, with turkey season not far ahead. All right, we've got uh, John Manning coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, some late-season deer hunting. Uh John is in Ohio. Of course, Wayne, you're from Ohio. Right. And have hunted a lot in Ohio, which 
this time of the year is and can be bitterly cold. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're, we uh, just a few years ago, we had uh, temperatures up in Cleveland there coming off the lake. Uh, I was out hunting late season, uh, it was mid-January, and we had five days in a row with temperatures 40 to 50 below zero with the wind chill. Oh, man. <clears throat> Thomas, would you deer hunt in 50 below temperatures? If I, I don't know about 50 below, but if I duck hunt around zero and stuff, I'd say I could handle deer hunting. As long as you got me a nice warm box blind like I've been building for these kids to sit in. All right, very good. All right, Thomas, thank you very much for being with us. All right, man. All right, and, and, and good luck for the rest of the uh, duck season. And if you don't have anything to do with those ducks, you want to put some on dry ice and send them to me, I'd sure like to cook a couple of them. I can do that. I got a freezer full. <laughs> I bet you do. With all them kids shooting them up, oh, man. With all them kids eating them, probably the neighbors, they always it. call me and let me know, hey, man, I uh, need another sack of duck meat when you get some. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you need to you need to send some uh, recipes up this way, too, because uh, that'd be something good for us to uh, put on our uh, yeah. the American Roots Facebook page. Absolutely. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, and us folks up here in the in the Ozark Hills, we really don't know how to cook duck. We'll, took it, we'll cook it just like we do fried turkey, and I don't know if that'll be good or not, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right, Thomas Moore, thank you for being with us. Folks, we got John Manning from Team Ohio coming up in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. What the wind might do, American Welcome back to American Roots. I'm Wayne Locke. This is uh, John Manning on the phone, team member from Ohio, and I have Mike Crason, the radio station, here with me. How you doing today, John? I'm doing great. Good. How's good. everybody out there? Good. Yeah, we just got off the phone with Thomas Moore out of Kentucky there, and we were talking some waterfowl hunting, and uh, he's uh, also a little excited about turkey season coming up, which I'm sure you are too, because, man, it is right around oh, the corner. Yeah. But uh, before oh, turkey yeah, season would... gets here... We have some late-season deer hunting still going on. That's right. So have you uh, gotten a chance to get out in the last couple of days at all? or? No, I just actually got home from Georgia for work-related, and I, I flew in today. So, uh, no, I'm planning on getting out this weekend. That's the, that's the game plan. All right, all right. Hey, question for you. Now, when you hunt, obviously hunting late-season is way different than hunting early-season uh, or hunting uh, the rut, or is it? I guess that's going to be my question to you. It is a lot different. Um, I mainly, in the, in the late season, I mainly hunt over over food sources. Um, try to stay as much around the food sources because after the rut, your bucks are, they're, you know, they're so far down because they've been chasing their does for so long that um, that they need that nutrients, they need that food. So they're, they're, they're hitting the food plots, they're hitting the, the, uh, the mineral sites, and in, in Ohio, you're allowed to bait, so if you're putting corn out or any other type of supplement feeds, they're hitting it pretty hefty. Yeah, the other thing I like to uh, that I like to concentrate on when I'm you know for late season is uh, getting those uh, those saddles or those draws that are on the south side of the hills uh, because boy that you know that sun comes up in the morning, you get that south southeast sides uh, those deer that seems to be where they want to hunker down at to uh, bed when they come back in the morning. So they can catch that uh, oh, yeah. early morning warmth. Yep, definitely, definitely. Anywhere that you got some a good pinch points or anything to that nature, any good travel corridors, anything where the, where they're they're traveling from their bedding to their food back and forth is is a good hot spots to uh, to get anchored down on and then and try to pattern in a deer. Right. So I still use cameras. I still use my trail cameras just to kind of stay up on top of them. Yeah, so what are you seeing on the trail cameras uh, now, John? If you haven't been in the woods for a while, is there, are any of your target bucks, are they still around? Yes. Uh, my boys actually let me know um, when I got home today that they pulled the camera, and uh, one of my one of my main bucks that we've been after, he is he disappeared, but he has come back. Um, so we're, uh, we're hopefully we can get him patterned before the season's out and or in that he still has his headgear on too. Yeah, how many? Getting that time of year, they're starting to shed, so they're starting to drop them horns down. So, as of right now, he's still got his headgear. So, yeah, how many times have we heard that story and, and, and seen it on social media? And I, I know just today, I saw four different posts. People were pulling trail cameras and going, "Look, 
the buck I'd targeted or one of my target bucks is still alive. And they're like, whew. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, you know, we're hearing that a lot. And it's amazing how those bucks can just disappear. Oh, yes. It's, un- it's, un- it's unreal how fast. You could have them pattern, 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 you know, early season, right before rut. And then you, you may have them pattern pretty decent during rut. And then just like a like a light bulb, it's gone. You're right. Like, Whoa. That's actually and one of the like, things. Uh... If somebody harvests him on a neighboring farm, in my area, if somebody harvests, we usually know. Right. So. Yeah, the small town yeah. word gets around quick. That's actually one of the things yeah. that I was just talking to Mike about uh, before we even got on the air here was uh, I myself prefer to hunt either early season or late season. I don't like to hunt the rut myself because I, I hunt target bucks. I don't just go out there and shoot whatever buck comes through, which I think you're, right. you're basically the same way. But um, oh, yes, during the rut, I find, you know, you got less than a 50% chance of seeing your target buck because he could be three miles away trying to find a doe. But to where uh-huh. in the spring, t- or the, uh, not spring, huh, yeah, don't be hunting deer in the spring. But, We're thinking uh, turkey now. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, you know, early season, uh, you know, you can pattern your buck. Uh, late season, you can get back onto those patterns because those bucks are returning back to their core areas. And uh, you yes. know, like you said, you get your trail cameras out there. You're finding where they're going back. Get, you can get you know closer to their bedding areas, especially if you know where the food sources. Right now, you had Definitely. talked about I, baiting. I, now I, right, you're right. correct. In Ohio, you can bait. Now down here in Missouri, you're not allowed to do that. So it's definitely right. a different type of hunting that I'm learning down here. Yeah, right. well, you, and you That's, can and you can use in Ohio something. hunting, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, and 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 actually, you know, and and. In Missouri, you can use supplements. You just can't put out food, right? And and in some counties now, in the in the uh, chronic wasting disease counties, the CWD counties, you can't even do that. So, um, <clears throat> it, I would assume this made for the late season hunting in Missouri. It's made it really tough. Oh yeah, I, it definitely has. Everybody I've talked to yeah. at the the stores and that have been saying the same thing that it it's definitely making it tough. You know, and then they hear about how we were doing it in Ohio, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you guys can bait in Ohio. That's got to be, <laughs> you know, totally neat." You know. To be able to do stuff like that, I said, well, it's got its pluses and minuses, you know. Yeah. I said, you got guys that are, you know, they have their viewpoints on baiting. There's other guys that don't. But with me, and I, I think John, you're, you're probably in the same boat on this. I like taking my ch- my kids out when they were young, uh, when they're learning to hunt. If you can get that deer over bait where they can mill around and they're just kind of minding their own business because they're eating in that, it gives the the child a chance to really get drawn in on that deer take his time mm-hmm. to get that good, clean shot off as opposed to a deer that's oh, just yeah. walking through. You know, you're expecting an 8-year-old to shoot a deer. It's a little different when he's over bait as opposed to just walking through the woods. Much easier. Way a lot easier when you're, when you're to me, I, I don't really call it bait. I call it food supplement. When, they're, when they're basically mm-hmm. a high-protein food, it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's getting them drawn in, but it, it's, it makes it a lot easier. Um, usually I hunt... Um, out of a blind or a shooter house when it comes to, to that when I'm on my on my baits. So so it's it, it works a lot easier. Yeah, and I would assume too kids. Yeah, and I would assume too that late season hunting, it's a lot safer to hunt out of a ground blind. Uh, because you go out in below temperature you know, below freezing temperatures, you got to worry about ice on your steps, uh, ice on your tree stand. I mean that's uh, that gets into dangerous territory. I would I would assume and I would encourage anybody that's going to hunt late season get you a blind and hunt out of a blind. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's definitely that's better for the kids too because like one yeah. we we're, you know we talk about different tactics to use. I like putting the kids in a sleeping bag, all the way up to their armpits inside of a blind because they can you can throw a couple hand warmers down there. They take their boots off. They get in there with their wool socks and a sleeping bag. I tell you what, you're not going to get much toastier than that. And I, I will bring a sleeping bag up in my tree stand, you know, temperatures that, uh, you know, we were, I was just telling Thomas, you know, we've hunted in Ohio temperatures in 40 to 50 below zero temperatures with the wind chill. Now, oh, yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you know, that's crazy to be out there. But if you dress right and you know the tricks to stay warm, you can do it. I mean, you think of how, you know, we do it there. Look at the people in Alaska and Canada that are out there doing it all the time. So... Uh, you just got to know the tricks of the trade to, to stay warm. But sleeping bags, I find, are a huge benefit, especially with children. A lot of people don't realize when it's that cold, them deer have to get up. They have to eat. They have to move. They have to help create that core body temperature. So when it's that cold, the deer are going to be on their They're going to be on their feet. They're right. going to be moving. So you got you can take that, that. If you can handle it, if you're dressed warm, 
Uh, we've had you know heaters in our in our you know get one of them buddy heaters. I've I've used them. Uh, we've done the sleeping bags. We've done big like camouflage covers where you can wrap up in a camouflage cover. But it's definitely perfect when you're in a blind. You're at ground level so that if you're in a tree stand or elevated tree stand, that air flow is flowing from if it's flowing up. You have no way to break yourself from that wind. So it's perfect, perfect um, to be inside of a blind or a shooter house uh, or anything to that nature that you can block that wind off of you and you got that food source out there within a good shooting range. It's perfect. Yeah, well, and I think it's I think it's more more of a challenge. You're at eye level with the, with them deer. They're you know they're there. They're right there. It's 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 kind of almost like turkey hunting away because you're you know you're at that eye level with them. I think it's more challenging. Oh, it's definitely. You gotta get I think it's definitely more. Your gun drawed up. It, it, right. I think it's awesome. Well, it definitely gets to heart pounding. I think a lot more to me. It does, oh, as opposed to being in a tree. But hey, John, we got to uh, cut to a break right here, and uh, when we come back, let's touch uh, just a few more minutes more on uh, food sources and that. All right, this is Wayne Locke with Mike Crace and John Manning on the phone. We'll be right back after this. Right here, right now. This is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. This is Wayne Locke. I'm in the studio with Mike Crace, and on the phone we have John Manning from Team Ohio. Hey, John, we were uh, just talking about food sources and uh, baiting and stuff like that. Now, one of the things that um, I have done in the past, and I'm sure there's some other listeners out there that have, or maybe if they have not, this is something to think about, but I've actually gone to farmers and asked them, can you do me a favor? And this corner right over here where I know I've done my scouting and I've had my trail cameras up, can you leave some standing corn there for me? And I have yet, I have yet to have a farmer say, nope, I'm harvesting it all. I'm not going to leave any for you because I love when deer come into my field and eat all my stuff. (laughs) So they, they are more than happy to generally to know and, and work with you if they know you're out there trying to help them out by getting the deer population down to a more uh, reasonable level. Uh, is that something you've oh, yeah. done before? Oh yeah, we 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 do that a lot. Uh, most of the farmers I know they'll leave a little little bit of standing with some soybeans, or they'll leave a little bit of corn. Um, they for deer hunting, I've actually had them leave it for waterfowl hunting, uh, early season dove hunting. They'll go through and they'll go through and cut, start knocking down corn or do silage, and they'll leave some strips in there for 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 the dove hunting. So. I've always had a good working relationship and with all the my hunters in the area. So, yeah, and it's surprising that you know it doesn't take much other than just asking. Because what's the worst thing they're going to say is you know no, but I mean yep. if they say yes, boy, that just changes everything for you uh, hunting late season. That's for sure. Yep, it's it's perfect. Most of it, like I said, all the farmers in my area that that I hunt on, I actually I take them every year. Taking Christmas presents, you know, get them cookies. Um, I help them out if they say, "Hey, I need some help." And you know, I go help them out. Truly, they, they help me. They, they allow me to hunt on their farms. So, and if I ask them, "Hey, can you leave this or you can leave that?" or um, I've actually went and took a tractor and, and bush hog lines out on some uh, some by edge of CRP ground and things like that, and and easily they've everybody's always worked out for me because again, we're we are controlling the population. I, I know they have no problem with doing it. Yeah, and, and I think that's just a common courtesy. And, and, and even, Wayne, in areas like here in the Ozarks where there aren't a lot of croplands, but there are always farmers that are needing, every once in a while needing a little bit of help. Maybe you hear about them being sick and say, you know, if it's a farm you hunt, say, hey, how about I go out and I, I'll, I'll feed you cattle today or I'll put the hay out for the horses or, you know, do a little something for them. Or men, men help mend fences yeah, during the summertime. Yeah, hey, when I was hunting, I noticed you got a fence back here, you know, way in your, your back 40 back there that, uh, needs needs some mending. You know, how about if I go back there and fix that for you, allowing me to hunt on your property? So, uh, yep. hunters, if you're not doing that kind of thing, yeah, if you're not doing that kind of thing, you really need to because that's some of where the rift comes in between landowners and the hunters, and that is the hunters taking advantage of those land landowners and not respecting those landowners by at least offering at least offering. A lot of them are going to say no. I'll take care of my own stuff. I'm just glad you're hunting here to help control the population. But 
Uh, there's some that, that will appreciate the help, and, and that's just going to let you back in there to hunt again next year. Oh, yeah. If you go by and you see them bailing hay, you know, square bailing hay, you know, pull in there and jump on the wagon and, and, and help them. Help them load a few loads. and uh, Let's not get crazy feet. about this, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost 60 John, years old. I say John, John, John might be a little here. younger than us, so that's maybe why he's saying yeah, it. I'm, so. I'm almost 60 years old. My days of throwing hay up into a barn loft are way behind me. Yeah, I've had people ask me, you know, what, you know, what do you like about hunting late season as opposed to, you know, earlier in the year? And uh, you know, my answers come twofold in two different ways. One, when I was younger, cold weather didn't bother me. You know, I mean, it could be whatever temperature I'm out there, I don't care. Older I got, bones get a little creakier, and the cold weather tends to affect me a little bit more. But, you know, that's where I think one of the greatest inventions that have come out in the last 20 years has been hand warmers. I mean, you got the hand warmers, you got the ones that stick to your back, you got the ones that stick to your bottom of your feet. And I take those toe warmers, and I put them, and I stick them on the inside of my, uh, my cap, and then that keeps my ears warm, and I'll paste them in back by the, the kidney area. Uh, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize. You know, you got to get them. If you put uh, hand warmers in your kidney area, boy, you can sit in a stand for a long time. Yeah, uh, and, and around your neck. Yes. And yep. Around your neck. But uh, the uh, the other advantage I like hunting in the late season as the older I got is the fact that, you know, when you get that blood trail, it's in nice, bright, white snow. Well, at least in Ohio it is. <laughs> in, Ohio, <laughs> in Ohio it is. And uh, the older I got, the hard, you know, worse my eyes got. And it was, you know, I find it a little harder to, to blood trail than what I used to. But, uh, man, it is something to see that bright red glowing trail. And when you can see it, uh, you know, if you're not lucky enough to see your deer fall, uh, you know, you can just see that trail just leading away from that shot. That is that is a sight to behold. Well, and not to mention oh, the yeah. fact that the deer are easier to see in the snow as well. Yes, that is so. Oh true. yeah. But and uh, the other thing, I people when we talk about late season, I tell them, I said one piece of equipment, please don't ever hunt late season without, and that is a pair of binoculars. And you were just talking yep. about, well, they're easier to see. Why do I need binoculars? Because John, you alluded to it uh, in the last segment, and that was deer start dropping their antlers. Well, if you got a deer, you got a three or four deer in that field, or you know, say 30, 40 yards in the woods. Man, pull those binoculars up, look at the top of that head, and see if is that a, a doe or is that a buck? And uh, right. because I, you know, in Ohio, you know, we have uh, 150, 160, 170, 180 pound does, and. Uh, it's crazy, you know, so people say, oh, you could tell a doe from a buck. Not necessarily, depending upon where you're hunting. You know, Michigan and Wisconsin, those northern states, uh, those does get just as big as the bucks. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've, I've harvested some does that, I've actually harvested some does where I've had people want the capes off of them because their cape wasn't good for their buck. Oh, yes. That they, yeah, so I've actually got taxidermists if I, I will take capes to them because they, they'll use them because the, we've got, Massive does. I mean, we've got big does here. Last buck I killed, I could have used. Uh, last last buck I killed, if I was going to have him mounted, I could have used an Ozarks doe cape. But <laughs> <laughs> an Ohio yearling. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And that's the way it goes. Sometimes the way it goes. All right, guys, yep. we are we're out of time. John Manning, uh, Team Ohio. We we appreciate you being on the show today. Well, and no you, problem. You did say you're going to be back out and, and doing some late season hunting here pretty quick, huh? Yeah, this weekend we're planning on going out. Um, as long as it's not monsoon raining, it's been really – we've been getting a lot of rain here mm-hmm. lately. Um, but they're, they're saying it's going to be uh, pretty decent. So I'm, I'm planning on going out this weekend. All right, very good. Good luck to you. And, uh, again, we appreciate you being here. Uh, this is American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Craze for Wayne Locke. Remember, when your roots run deep and strong, you don't have to fear the wind. We'll see you next week. So you never got to worry. What the wind might do, American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors bonus segment. If you are a podcast listener, you are the only one hearing this right now. I got uh, John Manning on the phone with us and Mike Grace in the studio with me. I'm doing sound effects.
awesome, man. It's Glad late night. It. It's late night, so he's got the sound effects going real good here. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we were, you know, wrapped up the earlier segment was we were talking some tactics and some stuff about late season. But, you know, one of the things I myself enjoy doing with late season is I use as my opportunity to scout for next year. And uh, I like going through the woods as I'm walking to my stand or when, when I'm done hunting in the morning and I'm walking out in the afternoon, I'll go around, I'll walk around because you can see so much better when all those leaves are off the tree and the snow's on the ground. You can see those rubs. You can find those broken branches that you know have scrapes underneath them. Uh, you might even come across this time of year, especially the last couple of weeks of January. If you're hunting a high pressure area, you may find some antlers laying on the ground. Um, is yep. there, you may, you may definitely find that. Right. Exactly. I mean, what, what else you, uh, have you, uh, done while you're, you know, walking in and out of the woods in late season here, John? Um, see, you know, with the snow on the ground, if you got good snow on the ground, you, you're seeing the, basically the good pass. You're seeing a lot, you know, where they're traveling because they're, you know, heavily traveled through the snow. You can, you definitely see the, the traveled areas, uh, big time, uh, bedding areas. Where the deer are bedded down, because you can obviously when you're walking through and if there's snow in there, you can see that bedding area. And even when the snow's not on, when when it, you can see basically where they're they've got everything pushed down. Whereas I I think it's awesome. Uh, I definitely like uh, the late season because of you know for that reason. I've actually have used late season tactic to up myself in early season the next year. Same thing you said. I've actually moved tree stand setups and stuff due to the fact of watching the, the the travel traveling because there again the deer are coming back to their home range in that late season, right. so they're going to be there in the early season too. So that tactic will help you. I actually harvest one of my biggest deer that way. I actually harvest a, a really nice buck that uh, I got on the wall here at the house. We patterned. We lost him, and then we patterned him again, and I didn't get on him, but I, I stuck with that pattern and, and came back the following year in the early season and, and harvested that deer. Well, and that's so true because so, 50 weeks out of the year, your your buck, your mature bucks have one core area. It's only two weeks out of that year that they say, see ya, and they're out chasing the ladies. Yeah, now John did when you said that you you, know, you had the buck and you lost him obviously during the rut and then he came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did you take into account the the pattern he was on early season and then compare that to the late season and then go back in early season next year, or did you just use the data that you put together from the late season? I used both. I used the the early mm-hmm. season and the late season and patterned them together. And actually, I actually figured out his hundred percent home range. Mm-hmm. I figured out his bedding area. Because the late season, was, we was able to pattern him to his bedding area. Um, and then, like I said, without blowing him out of there, I actually chose to back away. And and then I, we set up the following year, and sure enough, there he, there he was, and I was able, able to harvest him. Yeah, the other, the other so question I'd have about that, John, is was it the same pattern? I mean, the early season as the late season was was it exactly the same or, or what were the differences if there were any there wasn't he, he was actually on the same exact pattern there was um it was almost like he came back to the same feeding pattern with early season feeding where they were feeding up before the rut the late season feeding he, he was basically on the same exact pattern that he was so it, it actually honestly it actually helped me out <clears throat> i thought i was on him early season but I really wasn't. I was actually probably 60 yards down from him, but I used where he was traveling that pattern to where I could get into a funnel, and that's where I ended up harvesting was in that funnel. Right. But I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that funnel was really there until the late season, but I took the information from my early season pre-rut and took the post-rut and put them together, to basically map him out and GPS him, if you want to say it. Uh, Sealed the deal. Into where got him, got him in there where I was able to harvest him. And it was, it was, it was actually to me, it was complete. It was a complete circle. It was great. 
Yeah, that's kind of the. I mean, that's kind of the ultimate hunting story, right there, Wayne. And and uh, one of the great pleasures I had when I was hunting a lot was going to a new place, patterning the deer, and then getting in and harvesting a deer, whether it be with a bow or a gun, and going, I did it. I mean, right. there's nothing more self gratifying than to go to new land, find the deer, get the deer pattern, and then go in and make the kill, especially with a bow. And you know, pat yourself on the back, and said, "Yep." I'm Davy Crockett. You you laid a plan yeah. out and the plan came together. Right? Exactly. I'm Daniel Boone. I am Daniel yep. Boone. Uh, all right, and, and guys, let's admit hunters are creatures of opportunity because yep. when yep. you're late season hunting, especially when it gets into mid January, and you know turkey season's coming up in about two and a half or three months, you're looking for turkeys. And you're looking for turkey yeah. signs. I mean, let's not try and kid anybody that we're out there in our camouflage and, and we're not paying any attention to the birds because you are. Oh, yeah. And yeah. for me, I try oh, to, yeah. if I know, if I'm seeing bird sign in that late season in January, what that tells me is where not to go in the springtime. Exactly. Because they're going to move. Yep. The food source is totally different in the springtime. Unless you're hunting small oh, yeah, tracks, definitely. that's a different story, but... Yeah, and that's a lesson I learned from Ray I several years ago because he said that exact same thing. He said, where you see turkeys in the in the fall deer hunt is not where you want to hunt those turkeys because right. they're not going to be there. Because in the fall, obviously, they're, they're, they're eating acorns. Right. And they're not going to be acorns in the spring. So, you know, but that information tells you, okay, they're here. Now I got to find out where they're going. Right. And it'll be relatively close, but it'll be just a different food source. Yep, they're going to be going to the fields and, and uh, mm-hmm. bugging. Picking them bugs, they're going to, you know, so they're, it's a, it's a lot different. A little, you know, they may be in the same roosting area, but mm-hmm. feeding area is going to be a totally different world. Well, and, the one, and there's times that, and they're going to be, a lot, like around here, they're grouped up really heavy in the fall. Right. Yeah. And they'll, and you may have, uh, like on one of my farms, we've seen 15 longbeards, me and my youngest did during youth gun season. They walked right by us. I mean, beautiful. Beards dragging the ground, and they went. But in the springtime, there may be three over here and two over there, and the <laughs> but, more dominant bird over here. But at least you know they're out. there. But at least you know they're there, and they're relatively oh, yeah. close by. Yeah, and that's one thing I was just getting ready to allude to is that you can use late season for your uh, population count on your property mm-hmm. for spring because, like you said, you know they're grouped up in the wintertime. I mean, it's nothing to be in some of these fields I was uh, at up there in Ohio that you'll have 50, 60 long, you know, or, uh, not long beard. I wish there was 50, 60 long beards, <laughs> but you have 50, 60 birds out in the field, get your binoculars out, do your count, say, okay, I got 12 here. I got, you know, 12 nice long beards. I got a bunch of uh, jakes, you know, that gives you an idea of what you have for the next spring season. Because like you said, John, during the spring, you may only get, see three of them here or maybe the other three are at the next door neighbor's property, but at least you have an idea what the population. Oh, definitely. It's uh, like behind the house, behind my house. Uh, in the late season, like there, day the boys come home, there was there's probably 35, 40 birds, probably 100 yards behind the house, um, going across a, a cut bean field. You could see the boys. You could see the beards in the house. They're like, oh, you know, here they are. <laughs> Talking about the beards and and uh, they they're they're just stoked about it. Um, they're like me. They they love to they love to hunt them. Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine used an ATV with a seed spreader, and he would throw a couple bags of corn in there, and drive it through the middle of the field, spread all that corn out, and then come back the next day, and start counting his turkeys. And that's that's how he kept because he the man as soon as that you those turkeys find that corn one day they're coming back for the next couple oh, days absolutely. thinking it's going to be there. But he says that's how he was able to concentrate them. Then he would videotape them. And then get out his pad of paper and just start making notes. Uh, so this, because mm-hmm. he was real big on what do I need to do for my population to grow and to you know to make them better. And so if he started seeing a decline, he wanted to know why. You know, did I have too many predators? Do I need to? He didn't do any predator hunting, but he would call people and say, "Hey, come on over to my property, mm-hmm. do some predator hunting, get them out of here." And this is the time of year for predator hunting. We've been talking about that the, just the last couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, folks, if you're not predator hunting, you need to get out there and get that done so you can protect yep. those birds for the spring. Yep, definitely. Get, get out there and uh, knock a few of them coyotes down and uh, get some of them uh, them egg egg eaters. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some exactly. And, and possums and uh, the critters that's going to 
rob them nest. Um, definitely, but uh, definitely, uh, coyote populations are getting heavily because people are just not hunting them. Right, and right. Two not populations just because the, the pelts are not price for pelts are gone. We still need to get out there and do our part. Yeah, we got to feed them buzzards something. All right, so uh, uh, John, thank you for being with us here, and, and folks, you're listening to the American Roots Outdoors podcast. And Wayne, uh, for folks that are out there listening on the podcast, uh, they need to tell their friends go sign up, become a follower of the ARO podcast on the website, and and where and how do they go about doing that? Before we wrap it up here, you can log on to you know, like you know whatever podcast forum you use, whether it be Stitcher, uh, TuneIn. Uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, you know, just go on there, subscribe, and you'll get automatic notification or automatically upload to your uh, podcast library. But the other thing we encourage people to do is leave a review, because I, I tell you what, a review, it says a lot and about how we need to take this podcast and move to a direction that, you know, will benefit the listener. And that's what we're all about is teaching the listener, entertaining them. Uh, but the other thing that we're going to be doing is doing giveaways to people that leave reviews. So if you're not leaving a review, you're not going to be entered in these giveaways. And we're going to be giving away some turkey calls, some deer calls, some apparel. we got all kinds of things we're going to be giving away throughout the year, but you got to be leaving reviews or you're not going to be entered in the contest. And tell your friends. And tell your friends about the ARO podcast, which is a bonus aside outside of the radio show that is not aired on the radio. Correct. And that's the advantage of the podcast is you get to hear the radio show if you can't listen to it Saturday mornings. Hey, Tuesday afternoon, driving to work, I'm going to listen to the, the radio show so you get to hear everything. And, uh, right. you know, get on our Facebook page at American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, and we post the links to all of these podcasts and to the radio show. Share them with your friends. Get on there and share. Spread the word. Share them to your groups because it just helps get the knowledge out and, and helps everything grow. Keeps them running. All right, John Manning, Team Ohio, thank you for being with us. Uh, Wayne Lott, thanks for coming in. And uh, Alex will be back with us next week. I'm the Red Bull Mike Craze. Remember, when your roots run deep and strong, you never have to fear the wind.